You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. Thank you, Veronica. Praise the Lord for that. If you would, turn your Bibles to the book of John, chapter number 6, the Gospel of John. Anybody getting hungry yet? Anybody all right? Um, I'm doing a dangerous thing here. I'm going to be preaching about eating and food um, here approaching the noon hour. So the odds are you may forget what I'm saying halfway through when you start thinking about that food you may have at home or where you're going out to eat afterwards. But I want to preach about hope for the hungry the hope is uh, that I don't go too long-winded, amen, and you can get out of here and eat. But, but really, we know that, uh, that hunger, thankfully and generally speaking, for most of us is, uh, is not what it is in many other parts of the world, but we can all identify with what it means to be hungry. Uh, I wake up hungry every single morning. I know there's some people that don't eat breakfast. I don't understand people that don't eat breakfast. I, I, I go to bed at night looking forward to getting up and eating. Anybody else? Um, I like to eat. Uh, being hungry just, uh, just drives you and, and carries you forward to get something to eat. And I don't know if there's anything more basic in life than being hungry and being thirsty. If you can understand what it means to be hungry and how to solve being hungry, you can understand what it means to know Christ. If you know what it means to be thirsty and how to figure out how to quench that thirst, then you can understand what it means to know Jesus. And I say that because Jesus uses those terms because He wants to make it as simple as possible as far as our understanding is concerned. As you turn to the Gospel of John chapter number 6, I want to read a passage out of John chapter 20 that lets you know that anytime you open up the Bible to the Gospel of John... What is the purpose of what you're reading? Because here's what it says in John 20, verse 31. But these are written, these things, so everything in the Gospel of John is written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through His name. That's it. The Gospel of John is written so that you might believe on Jesus Christ and so in that believing, you would have life through His name, you know, which is really the purpose of this church. That's another way of saying life and more abundantly. Well, you can't have much of a life if you don't have food and if you don't have water. And in our passage in John chapter number 6, Jesus is speaking to a large number of people. This is the day after He fed the 5,000. And some of you may or may not be aware of this, but when the Bible talks about in the Gospel of John about feeding the 5,000, the, the, the feeding of the 5,000 is a bit of a misnomer because the Bible specifies that He fed 5,000 men. That's not including their wives and their children. So quite frankly, the feeding of the 5,000 may be in reality the feeding of the 30,000. But that would have been the day, that's earlier in John chapter number 6, and the day prior to where we pick up our reading in verse number 31. And we find a group of people that are following Jesus, and when the chapter starts, verse 2 says, And a great multitude followed him 
because they saw his miracles which he did on them that were diseased. Well, after this is when he feeds them and then you get down to verse 26 and the Bible says, Jesus said unto them, answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek me not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. And so these people, they first started following him because of his miracles. In other words, what can God do for me? Or what, what miraculous thing can I see? And then later they started following him because of, hey, maybe he'll feed us. I mean, if this guy just can make food all the time, uh, that'll be kind of cool. Let's just follow Jesus around, and whenever we're hungry, he'll just, you know, turn something, you know, turn water to wine. He'll, 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 he'll multiply the fish. He'll multiply the bread. Uh, this seems like a pretty good guy to follow. So that's what happened after the feeding of the 5,000. So basically, you know, it's not much different from today. There's still some people today who would follow Jesus hoping for some material gain. Hoping for some material gain if they follow Jesus. Others may hope for some physical satisfaction. The deep longing of the soul, however, can never be satisfied with material things. He gave them food for the body the day before. The next day they follow him and he just wants to let them know something that the food for the body, that which you get from the outside, anything from this material world will never satisfy the deep longing that you have within your soul. Never. You can never get enough stuff, right? I think it was uh, uh, Rockefeller, you know, I believe he was the first billionaire in the world uh, but when you, when you asked Rockefeller, what does it take to make a billionaire happy? He just said, just one more dollar, right? I mean, because true fulfillment, it's nice to have things, and, and that's a blessing, and that's all well and good. But what we understand is that's not what satisfies the soul. And Jesus knew this. So in verse 31, Jesus begins to speak to these people that are looking for more bread. In fact, they weren't content just to see Jesus turn the loaves and fishes and multiply them. They actually wanted to see Jesus replicate a miracle out of the Old Testament. They seemed to be implying that, Lord, we would like to see you bring manna down from heaven like Moses did. So let's pick up reading in verse number 31. Verse 31 says, Our fathers did eat manna in the desert, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you true bread from heaven. For the bread which, is, which cometh down from heaven giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. Much like a couple chapters ago in John chapter 4, that woman said, Oh, you can give me water and I'll never thirst again. Give me this water so I don't ever thirst again. And they're kind of saying the same thing. Lord, just give us this bread. Give it to us. And verse 35, And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. 
All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. And then I'm going to drop down and read verse number 47 where the Bible says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give him is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Now before I get too far into this, there are some people that, that misunderstand a lot of this passage when Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And he says, you must eat the bread of life. But I want you to understand that Jesus there is speaking... Uh, you know, metaphorically, he's trying to paint a picture for something they understand. Because there's some that would say, see, that's why the bread is actually Jesus when you take communion or whatever. What, the bread is no more Jesus when you take communion than Jesus later in this, in this book, in John, John chapter 10, Jesus says, I am the door. Well, was all of a sudden he's standing there like, man, what, was Jesus actually a door? Was he just like this, you know, uh, three by, you get what I'm saying? That, that's ridiculous, right? I am the door. Uh, well, no, he's not a door. He's just trying to get you to understand something. The way that you have to come into a door is the same way you come to God. If you want to come to God, if you want to come to heaven, you've got to go through the door. Jesus is the door. He wasn't saying, I am actually a door. No more than here, he's saying, I am bread. But what he's saying is, so that you can understand the meaning of, of what it means to receive me and to believe on me, I'm comparing myself to bread. You know, for the first thing, there's just a couple interesting things that we find out through here. I told you, first of all, that people started following him because of the miracles and because he could give them food. All right? So, what some material gain or physical satisfaction, and they wanted more. They wanted to see him do more in that regard. But I want you to understand something about Jesus, and it still applies to us today. He doesn't always give us what we want. He doesn't always give us what we sometimes think we need. What we call need a lot of times is really just greed, is it not? We call it our needs, but they're maybe just our greeds. But Jesus knows that there's even more. He knows that there's more, and He wants to give you what you really, really need. See, they were wanting physical food. Jesus wanted to give them soul food. Something that would satisfy them deep inside. You think about food and water for a little bit. Food and water, they're not only basic daily needs. We need, we need food and water daily. We can go, uh, you know, short amount of times and uh, days without food. Uh, you know, I, I know many of you fast and do intermittent fasting. I do intermittent fasting quite often, and it's rough. I mean, but, you know, but between breakfast and lunch, it's, it's a long three or four hours there, you know, but, but I do it. I do it. And so we know how hard that can be, right? But no, we, we know, we understand the basic needs of food and water. They're neat, but I'm telling you, they're not just, they're vital needs. If you don't eat and if you don't drink, you will die. I mean, there's just no other way around it. They're vital needs. There's a desperation to hunger, right? 
I mean, I, I, there, there might even be somebody in here today that maybe you didn't eat breakfast or maybe you ate breakfast and this fast is killing you, this intermittent fast between breakfast and lunch. And maybe it would be best not to speak to you as you leave today because you're already, as it said in the Hebrew, hangry. Right? You, you want to eat and preacher went too long and my spouse will not quit talking and I am hungry. Uh, right? I mean, hunger. Man, I'm telling you, what, what people will do for food? What would we do for water? I mean, man, they are desperate needs. If we don't have hunger and we don't have, or if we don't have food and water, folks, we're in trouble. I mean, I want to golf. Maybe like once in my life, because I don't know if I've ever really golfed. People ask me if I'm a golfer. I'm like, no, I'm a hacker. I'm a hacker. I, I, don't, I respect golfers too much to call myself a golfer. I want to golf, but I need to eat, right? There's a difference. I mean, folks, we're talking about a need here, food, water. And that's what Jesus is trying to say. These people wanted to be satisfied, but they were not aware of their great need of spiritual satisfaction. But Jesus was, and Jesus cared about it. And so as we consider what Jesus did here, he's relating himself to bread, but even more so, he's relating himself to manna. He's going back to the book of Numbers where the Bible talks about a time when the children of Israel had come out of Egypt. They were in the wilderness. They were hungry and they, were, they didn't have food. They didn't have prospects for food. They begin to complain against the Lord. They begin to murmur against the Lord. Lord, we need food. So God did this miraculous thing. He sent manna down from heaven. And these people would walk out of their tents, so in the darkness of the night, manna would miraculously appear on the surface of the earth. And the dew would fall, and then the manna would lay right there on top of the, the dew, and you would go out, and the ground would be covered with this white bread, this white circular, small little pieces of bread, and the people would just go out there and collect this bread. And they would eat it, and that would be their sustenance. And God literally did that for 40 years, the, every day while they were in the wilderness, going into Canaan's land, to where they'd actually got sick of it and complained about that for a while. But that's what they did. And, and, you could, and you, you, it was a daily provision. You weren't supposed to keep more for the next day. You got what you got for today. It was no good the next day, except the day before the, the, the Sabbath day. Then you could do it then. But so this was this miracle that God did that these Jewish people would have been familiar with. M many of you may not be so familiar with it, but that's basically what it was. But there's some interesting things about it, that the manna that relates to Jesus Christ. Like in verse 33, Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father gave you, that's verse 32, gave you the true bread from heaven. Verse 33 for the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth light unto the world. God, listen, looked on the hungering hearts, the desperate need of those in this earth that don't know Christ. And he said, you know what? They're crying out. And you know people cry, you know people cry out for God and don't realize it? People who don't even believe in God are crying out for God because they're crying out for something. They want more. I'm telling you, every time somebody's trying to find satisfaction in the things of this world, 
Really, what they're saying is, I need something greater. I need something beyond me. And they don't realize it, but I need something that's not just material. I, I'm a spiritual being, and there, there's something spiritual I'm missing and lacking for spiritual satisfaction. So God, in His mercy, sends down bread from heaven. In other words, He sends down Jesus Christ. And He says, I know the only thing that will satisfy them, and that is my only begotten Son. So Jesus Christ comes down from heaven. It's interesting, the Bible says that God brought it down right into the wilderness. Interestingly enough, in that passage in Numbers, the Bible calls it the wilderness of sin. Now that just happens to be the name that was associated with it, but for application purposes, I want to tell you something wonderful. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 1.15, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. In other words, here's the great thing that Jesus did in offering salvation. That manna would come around and it would come to where literally those people just had to get up out of their tents and walk out and there it was. In other words, it came to them. Jesus sent the provision right to them. And aren't you glad today that Jesus comes where you are? Jesus still goes where sinners are at. You said, preacher, what's a sinner? Who's a sinner? Well, we're all sinners. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, by our earthly standards, we have some that are worse sinners and some that are better sinners. But when you really come down to it, we've all sinned. But God, the Lord Jesus Christ comes right where sinners are, right where we are. I am so thankful. I had the opportunity last Sunday to preach in my home county where, uh, where, I, where I was brought up at and where I trusted Christ. And it was just it was, a, it was just a cool experience, just a little nostalgic, remembering where God brought me from. But it was in that county. I was just thinking about this. I've shared it with you many times before, and it was cool because some of you know, and I, I think it's Phil and a couple, I love it every time you mention Greasy Corner. That, that, that's the, I, I was raised mostly in South Gastonia, which is another whole story um, of a not very great part of town. But the Lord saved me when I was living in a place of, of our area called Greasy Corner. Well, I mentioned that last week uh, to that group, and there were so many people. Man, I was in, I came up in Greasy Corner and all that. It's just a, and it's just like what it sounds. It's it's not uh, uh, it's not a gated community. I'll just say that, okay. Um, <laughs> but here's the thing. Jesus came to Greasy Corner. Amen. Hallelujah. There's folks that don't want to go to Greasy Corner. Jesus came to Greasy Corner. There's, there's parts of Greasy Corner that you don't go to at night. But Jesus came to Greasy Corner at like 2 or 3 in the morning. Now, I want to be clear. He, he did not physically come and walk into the house, amen. But, but what I mean by that is He came through truth and through spirit. And I understood the meaning of why He came. And so Jesus comes right where you are. Boy, if I wasn't so dignified, I'd probably jump and shout for a minute. Because it's a blessing to me to think that the Lord doesn't draw some line somewhere like religion does and say, okay, all of you, if you will get to this point, you can get to God. You can get forgiveness. No. You know what? He comes right to where you are. Right in your sin. Right in your degradation. I mean, Jesus came right to where the woman at the well was at. 
Jesus went right into the communities that were off limits to many of the priests. He, he would go among people, the prostitutes. He would go among the drunkards. He'd go among the publicans. And he was not partaking in their sins, but he was going there to offer them something because their lifestyles showed that they were hungry. And Jesus understood that they're not going to get satisfied this way, but hey, here's the bread. I'm right here. So the manna came down right where everyone was, just like Jesus did. I mentioned this. It came down in the darkness. It came down in the darkness. Luke 179 says, To give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide them and guide our feet in the way of peace. Now, another cool thing is that God did not send them manna Going back to the book of Numbers, he did not send them manna and bread in the wilderness because they were being so sweet and so nice. They were being awful. They were murmuring and grumbling and complaining and carrying on against God. They, they were fussing that God had brought them out of Egypt. So what did God do? God said, okay, I'm going to send you all some bread. I'm going to feed you. So in other words... All of this was, the, 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 the manna was in response to their rebellion. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5 verse 8 that but God commendeth or proved His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus doesn't die for us because we're good. He doesn't come for us because we're such great people. Folks, He comes to us even in our darkness, even in our sin. You want to know another thing? The manna was completely free. It was a free gift. They just literally had to go and get it. They literally just had to bow and receive it. And that's really kind of what uh, happened there because if you think about it, it's kind of neat. All they had to do is respond to what God has already done. And so they would have to go out and think about this. In order to get to the manna, they would have to kneel down and pick it up. And now you don't have to physically kneel to come to Christ. But kneeling is a position of humility. And what we do have to do is to humble ourselves and to say, you know what, Lord, I am in need of you. Lord, I, I, I bow. I may not be, some people can't even bow their knee, right? But, but you can bow your heart. And you can say, Lord, I humble myself to receive you. The manna came right where the people were at. I've said that already, but Mark 2, 17, When Jesus heard it, He saith unto them, They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I come not to call the righteous to repentance, but I've, called to call, I've come to call sin, sinners to repentance. Now, when Jesus said, I didn't come to call the righteous to repentance... He's not saying that, the, that there's actually righteous people that don't need to repent. He's talking about those who think they're righteous. He said, you know what? I've come for those who know they're sinners. I've come for those who know their need for Him. But the fact is, it, there needed to be a response. Now just think about this. I don't know if y'all are getting hungry yet, but if you're getting hungry, it depends sometimes what you're having for lunch. If you know what you're having for lunch, that can be so much worse. Can you get hungry just like that? I can get hungry just like that. I told you we were just down in North Carolina. Somebody asked me about the barbecue. And uh, let, me, let me tell you something. There's some dudes up here that can flat out cook some barbecue in South Dakota, okay? But I haven't found a restaurant yet to where I can go in and get what I consider to be great barbecue, all right? So, so dudes, some of you dudes can cook it, man. 
But as far as going in a restaurant, but down there you can go to some restaurants and just get awesome barbecue, right? I just start talking about it. I wasn't hungry when I started this sentence is what I'm saying, okay? <laughs> but I was down there this past Sunday with, that, with, that, with that, uh, that pulled pork, I mean, just smoked, and them hush puppies and that barbecue slaw and all that stuff together, son. I mean, so good. I don't ever drink anything but water, hardly. Water, milk, and coffee's about. But, man, I just thought, well, I'm down there. I'm going to give me a big old glass of sweet iced tea, Okay. And somebody says, oh, oh yes, sweet tea, you mean cranberry tea. No, no, no. Uh, you mean, oh, put a little bit of sweet and low in there. No, I'm talking this much tea, three to four cups of sugar, okay? <laughs> Not lying. My mom's pitcher, you, you didn't really measure it. You just put it in there until there's about that much sugar in the bottom of the pitcher, and then you poured the hot tea on there. And let me tell you something better about growing up down south. They'd put that in our sippy cups. <laughs> That's not a lie. I don't know why there's so much obesity down there, but <laughs> it may be connected. Man, I'm talking about getting hungry. Now, just think about this. I was on my way to the, I was, we were on our way to the restaurant. It was on a Sunday afternoon. And let me tell you something, man. I didn't preach too long, but I know the Methodists already beat us there. So I knew that we were going to have to wait in line when we got there. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be torture. But now imagine after all that, imagine after all this, I go in, sit down at that table, and I always say stuff like this when I'm down there. I say it when I go to Bojangles too. Well, I came 1,500 miles for this. I only get it once a year. I'm hoping they'll give me a little bit extra, you know, and they usually do. And... Uh, so, so just imagine me doing that whole thing, them sitting that plate down in front of me in that tea, and I just, boy, boy, that sure is nice. Boy, that's good. Look at that. Maybe I take my fork and move it around a little bit and then just sit my fork back down. Ain't this something? Boy, this is some good food right here. Now, that, I didn't do that. That would be, that would be ridiculous. That, that, would be, that would be utterly crazy. No, I dug in. I dug in. And my wife and my other sister-in-law, Melissa, they were having kind of a serious conversation and whatever over there, and I, I wasn't conversating. I was eating. <laughs> and as I was eating, I, I kind of looked over, and I, um, I kind of kept gazing over, and I, I, I looked at Melissa, and they, they were in the middle of this uh, serious conversation. You know, I said, Melissa, I don't want to offend you, and I don't want to put you on the spot, but I just got to ask you something. Are you going to finish that slaw? Because <laughs> if you're not... I'm going to go ahead. It was just sitting there. What are you, going, what are you doing with it? Right? Um, here's what I'm saying. Jesus said something really, really interesting in this whole passage. He said in one place, He said that you have seen me, but yet you don't believe. That's what He said in verse 36. But I've said unto you that you also have seen me, but believe not. You know that's how so many people are? With Jesus? Oh, Jesus, man. Oh, I think that's great, man. I, what's, he, he, he came and he... And, and, and anybody notice Christmas decorations already out everywhere? Uh, Sam's Club in different places? Uh, it's out there. Man, I love Christmas. Man, ain't it great Jesus came, man. He was born and born of the virgin and lived a sinless life. He died on the cross. He rose again. Man, that's wonderful. I think Jesus is great. I think church is just great. I think, you know, I think Christianity is just wonderful. Let me tell you something. You need to dig in. These, these, Jesus said, y'all see, but you don't believe. You want to know something? Some people think that 
That seeing is believing. What you don't understand is in truth, believing is seeing. Believing is seeing. These people saw, but they still didn't believe. Believing is seeing. So it's just the same thing. Just imagine sitting there thinking, boy, this food looks great, but I'm not going to partake of it. So Jesus' challenge was simply this. There's a couple things about the manna else I'd like to say. Number one, the manna was sweet to the taste. That's what it says in Psalm 34, 8. The Bible says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. It was gathered early. Listen to this. They were told to gather the manna in the morning. Young folks, you know when it's time to seek God? Now. Seek God now. Old person, you want to know when it's time to seek God? Right now. Not later, early. Seek Him early. Seek the Lord while He may be found, the Bible says. Alright? And so they gathered early. But even though uh, th- th- these people saw, they didn't believe. Now, what does it mean to believe? What does it really mean to believe? Jesus repeatedly sp- spoke of believing here. In verse 35, And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life that cometh... To he that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Notice verse 36. And I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. Verse 37. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. What does it mean to believe? Well, Jesus reveals when he says, come to me. He that believes and cometh to me. So believing isn't, the the kind of believing a lot of people do is what I was talking about. Sitting there looking at the plate talking about how good it looks. Jesus said, he that believeth comes to me. To get that manna, they had to get up out of their tent and go and get it. All right. So what it means to, to believe is to come. It's kind of a synonymous statement here. But to in order to come to him... There, it, it signifies that there must be something you have to leave. Because if you've got to come from what If you came to church today, you left one place and you came here. So here it is. Coming to Jesus. Think about what it means to come to Jesus. This is what it means to believe. It means in order to come, you must leave. What are you leaving? You must leave the emptiness and come to Him in all His fullness. Come away from your famine and come to the feast that is offered in knowing Jesus Christ as Savior. But there's another side of this. He said there in verse 37, All that the Father giveth me. In verse 44, He says, No man come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. So Jesus says, You must Come, but he says you must be drawn. Well, which is it? Well, it's both. But I want you to think about this. So God, if you're here today or listening today and you're interested in knowing God or salvation, I've got really cool news for you. You're here and you're interested because God initiated that. Wow. That is not lost on me. And I try to communicate that to people. And you know, people have different reasons why they're here sometimes. I'm here because I have to be. I'm here because of whatever it might be. I remember Chad Gross, uh, I remember his testimony. The reason he came to church is because his dad, Larry, wouldn't leave him alone about it. That was on Chad's side. But on God's side, God was drawing him. 
And he came to church. And guess what happened when he came to church? He found out about the bread of life, amen? He recognized a hunger that he had. And so he was being drawn, therefore he came. But here's the thing about it. I think about this when I think of leaving something in order to come. I just get this picture of holding on to something. Because the Bible says he's drawing you. So I get this picture. I just, I just imagine that here you are. And this is where you've been. But God says, well, I want you to come to me. And it says he's drawing you. So it's like the Lord is saying, hey, come with me. Gently leading, gently drawing. But I imagine us just holding on. And he's drawing, but we're holding on. And we come up with all kinds of reasons why we don't go, why we don't believe. We, we, we may even try to talk about how much we don't understand and about all these other things. I'm telling you, the greatest problem is not intellectual problems, people. It's problems with the heart. But he's drawing. And he's saying, come. But don't you mistake this. God will never force you to come. He will not do it. He'll draw you, but ultimately you must come. But in order to come, as he draws, you must first do something. You must let go of whatever that is. Sometimes it's just simply your unbelief. These people that Jesus addressed didn't want to believe. They didn't believe that Jesus could love them. They didn't believe that Jesus could forgive them. Whatever it was, they didn't believe he was who he said he was, even though they knew that he was. But they chose not to believe. You know what you can do today? You can choose to believe. You can choose to believe on Him. I don't know what it is. You could be holding on to the sins of this world, things of the old life, your past, your past hurts, your past failures. Some people don't want to let go because they've messed up so bad. Oh, you don't know what I've done. God's, and, and the whole time God's sitting here saying, I want to forgive you, just let go. Come to me, believe on me. He draws, but we must come. The Bible says in Jeremiah 31 verse 3, The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee. Understand, this is you. This applies to you just as much as it applied to Jeremiah and Israel, but it applies to you. I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Oh, does God really love me? Yes, He does. He's been loving you for a long time. That love was manifested when he went to the cross. Get this, for you. When he rose again, for you. And then for him to work in such a way to where you would have the opportunity to hear about him once again today, he loves you with an everlasting love. Which You want to know something? That means he can never love you any more than he does right now. And he loves you, and he loved you enough to give his only begotten son for you. That's love. You can, never, you can never do anything to lessen that love. It's an everlasting love. You can never do anything ever. It's not possible for you to do something to make that love of God run out for you. It's impossible. His love for you is, always has been, always will be beyond description. I've loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, look at this, with loving kindness I have drawn thee. He's drawing. He's saying, wouldn't you come to me? Wouldn't you believe on me? But you're holding on to something. He's drawing you. He loves you. He's drawing you with love. 
Wouldn't you want to just let go? And just say, okay, Lord, I believe on you. I trust you. Lord, I believe. I believe that you died for my sins. I believe that you'll forgive me. Jesus, I want you to be my Savior. It's that simple. So let's all stand here today, and I thank you for your time and for your patience. And I don't know where you stand here today, but I can promise you one thing. He loves you. I think I can confidently say this today. He's drawing you. You are not here by accident today. You're here because He's working. He's drawing. Would you come to Him? If not, why not? What are you holding on to? Really? Just let go of it today. Put your hand in His. Come to Him. Come to Him. She's she's playing a song right now, Just As I Am. How do you come? Just like you are, right there. Oh, I got some things to work on. No, you don't. Let, let, Let that go. You don't got nothing to work on. Jesus has already done it. You just need to let go. You need to believe. Wouldn't you want to believe? I want to tell you something. Oh, gosh. I'm up here by myself right now, but I wish I could get some other people up here just to say amen. There's not one person, not one, not one person who has ever let go and just said, man, that was a horrible decision. Not one. Everyone has been glad to have that joy and peace, reconciliation in Jesus. And we want that for you. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. Jesus loves you. Would you let go? Child of God, there's a message in there for us as well. Because that feasting wasn't just for one time. It was a daily thing. Amen. Let Jesus continue to be your sustenance and your satisfaction. Would you want to pray with me today? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you came and you come right to where we are. And I pray that you'll help that one right now where they stand to let go and believe on your name. God, there are some Christians that need to let go as well and let you guide them into a deeper relationship with you, a life of victory. God, I pray you'll just speak to hearts, work accordingly, we ask you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing a line or two of that.